Hello, everyone. Welcome to Retro Encounter, episode 365. Uh, my name is Jonathan Logan. I'm subbing in for Mr. Solosi this week. And uh, today uh, we have a very, we have a tropical treat for you today. Um, so, you know, this is Retro Encounter. We do retro here. And if you want retro, it's difficult to get more retro than the NES. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about a classic action RPG that had all of the makings of an epic Nintendo franchise. Except then it just wasn't. It just wasn't a Nintendo franchise, but it should have been. It's really, really weird. Uh, so before we jump into this game, let's introduce our panel. First of all, we have our fearless leader, Mike Salvato. Hello. Although today I'm going by Mike Jones. Mike Jones. Yeah. With you have your uh, your yo-yo. No, sorry, not yo-yo. Your island star with my, you. I have my island star and my cleats and all my other baseball essentials. Excellent. And bananas. Oh, and bananas. Yes, you can't forget bananas for your. Uh, for your ears. Right. Um, and then we also have <laughs> Nick Mangiracina. Hi, everyone. Okay. Uh, Nick, this is your first time on Retro, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, we were on an episode of uh, Random Encounter a few months ago. That was my that was my record in the car episode. Yes. Um, yeah, that was a good episode, despite everything. I, I was having a horrible time, but I also got news about, you know, <laughs> Yakuza. So I was thrilled. Um Anyway, so the game we're going to be talking about today is Star Tropics. And Star Tropics is a game for the Nintendo Entertainment System. It was released in 1990, uh, not at the very end of the console's life, but getting there. It was the kind of thing, uh, Nintendo, Super Nintendo was coming out very soon in 1991. So this was like the last year that Nintendo was exclusively releasing games on the Nintendo system. Um, speaking of ex exclusivity, it was released exclusively in the West and was designed to appeal to Western tastes. Uh, but given that it was designed by an all Japanese team, it was, it was appeal. It, it was their idea of Western taste. So it's like jammed full of as many American stereotypes as possible, including the name of the character, Mike Jones. He loves baseball. Uh, and, uh, yeah, at the time it got some decent reviews, uh, a lot of people thought, you know, it's a really good game. It's uh, picking up the the Zelda torch. I mean, this is long before, uh, well, not long before. It was about two years before Link to the Past. So the only two Zelda games at that point were Zelda and uh, uh, Adventures of Link. Um, and I remember this game very well from when I was a kid. I remember renting it. Um, I never bought it. I rented it. And Star Tropics is, especially for its time, I would argue it is a... Uh, unique mashup of a variety of different video game genres, including JRPGs and uh, Zelda action adventures, and it's mixed with classic NES level design. So in Star Tropics, instead of there being a uh, a large open world like you would find in a JRPG like Dragon Quest, for example, uh, the game is divided into chapters, and in each chapter you're exploring a uh, a tropical island, um, except the later chapters. But we'll get to those. So. In Star Tropics, there are two different gameplay modes. The first is, frankly, it, it's a Dragon Quest clone. It looks like Dragon Quest. Uh, when you're on the overworld or a village, you're a small little sprite. Everyone around you is marching in place as per usual. It looks like Dragon Quest. But then when you enter into a dungeon, it moves to a much more dynamic playstyle, much more similar to uh, The Legend of Zelda for the NES. Um, it's a really interesting mix of these two games. Uh I'm just curious, both of you, which is your particular favorite, uh, which which is your, which would you prefer? Would you prefer a more Dragon Questy version or a more Legend of Zelda version? Well, uh, <laughs> it's interesting because I, I think I probably would lean towards the Dragon Quest version, but um, 
I, I enjoyed my time with star Tropics so much, um, that I just felt like it was, it, you know, aside from some of the later dungeons and stuff like that, um, it played oh, pretty we'll, well. To those. Yeah. It, I thought it played pretty well. Uh, so when you say dragon quest, you mean like the dungeons would be turn-based combat instead of action RPG? Yeah, like if the if the, if Star if Star Tropics could have been a little bit more like Dragon Quest and it would have been turn based with you know the dungeons of that style, would you have preferred that game or would you prefer a game that was like entirely Legend of Zelda style? No, I I would probably stick with Zelda still. Uh, not that I have anything against turn based, but I think if you did turn based, I'd I'd expect and want to see a party. I think I think a, a turn based game where you only have one character the whole game. I don't know. I mean, I guess I, mean, I guess Dragon old, Quest One. It is it is Dragon Quest One. That's true. That's true. I don't know. I never thought about that before. You got me on the spot here. I never thought of playing Star Tropics as, as a turn-based game. Yeah, I think it would have been an interesting turn-based game, a little bit more in line of like the Mother series, actually, given its sense of humor and more modern sensibilities. Um, well, an interesting thing about this game is while it is a Zelda-like, you know, it uses it uses uh, the system of movement where it's, you know, you move up, down, left, right on a grid. But unlike any other Zelda game you've ever played, it has the weirdest damn control scheme you need to hit the d uh, the d-pad in a direction to turn in that direction and then you need to hit the button again to move in that direction it is extremely awkward at first you eventually get used to it but when you first start it you actually kind of feel like your controller's broken you're like <laughs> what, what what's going uh, seriously like yeah. you're doing it and you're like what's going on why is this not why am i not moving oh okay um it's a it's a very awkward system of movement but once you get into that rhythm, it it makes sense. It's hard to describe until you actually try it. I don't love it, but it does work. I don't mind the movement itself quite as much. Uh, you know, the fact that you're like you're locked to a grid and you have like the double tap to move. I think what gets people, and I don't mean to talk about Hillary when she's not here technically on the podcast, but like when we played the game last year and that was her first time ever playing it. And I think the thing that maybe threw her off the most was the way the jumping works because mm. the way jumping works in this game is really weird because you can only jump like with momentum forward or whatever. If you're jumping on a tile or over something like otherwise you can only jump straight up in place. And that's like, that's also something I don't can't think of another game where I've played that controls that way. So between those two things, it has very strange controls that you really have to get used to. And I mean, you're not the only one. I mean, the enemies kind of move like that too. Uh, when we were talking about it in Slack, uh, when I first played it, I mentioned that it reminds me a little bit of Crypt of the Necrodancer, just without the rhythm, the rhythm mechanics. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I can see that. Yeah, it, it's a very rhythmic game where like you are moving kind of like move, 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 jump, jump, jump. Um, in fact, when I was playing it, I was like, this, this would be a decent setting for a, Crypt of the Necrodancer spinoff, like the Zelda one. <laughs> if that, they ever wanted to revive the damn series. Can you imagine, like, after how many years, that's how they bring Star Tropics back as, as a rhythm game? <laughs> a rhythm dungeon crawler? I would play it. I, I, think that's, I think that's a great idea, personally. I mean, given that some of the themes of Star Tropics uh, are still in my head decades later, uh, as, like, some of the catchiest songs on the NES. Yeah, yeah. I, I would play Yeah, it. the overworld theme is one of the catchiest damn songs, I think, in NES history. Like, honestly, it's the kind of thing that if you've ever played this game and you saw the words written out, do, 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 <laughs> you're going to be like, Star Tropics. <laughs> like, you don't even need music. It's just, like, the rhythm of it instantly makes you go, oh, yeah, I know that song. Um, 
And the movement isn't the only thing that's a little awkward here. Uh, using items in this game is kind of a pain. Uh, you have to pause, you have to then move up or down to see magic items, then you have to use them, then you have to unpause the game. Um, there are uh, other weapons in the game or tools that you can get, which you press select and you can switch between on the fly. But it's just awkward it's like the people who were designing star tropics it's like they've never played a video game before and they were still figuring it out <laughs> which is yeah. weird because it's 1990 and the legend of zelda was released like five or six years earlier and they got it perfect the first time the, the one that one thing you mentioned there like pausing to use magic items i don't totally fault them for that just because sometimes you actually can have all your item slots filled and there's only so many buttons on the NES, so they probably had, they're like, well, we need some way to, like, have a secondary menu, and there's no, like, shoulder button, so uh, I don't know. I think that was how they had to do it. It's a little weird that, you know, that they would uh, um, remove all of the items as soon as you got out of a dungeon from your inventory. Yeah. You know, like, as if that was to to assist them not not having enough buttons. Um but it didn't seem to it didn't seem to fix anything. I think that plays into the central design of the game, which is it it, it does have a lot of JRPG uh, DNA in there, and obviously Zelda like. But it's also it's also like level based in a way. Um, so I don't think that they considered those to be items in the same sense as Zelda, where you collect them. I think they thought of them as like power ups, right? And so like at the end of the level, you lose all your power ups and that's how dungeons are treated in this game. Not like, not like the dungeons in Legend of Zelda where there are items hidden within. Now, I think that would have been a much cooler mechanic. It would have been stolen like whole from Legend of Zelda, but it would have, it would have been interesting. Um, I mean, there are some other issues of the game. It like, uh, Mike, you mentioned jumping, uh, insta death is everywhere, including, it's baked into the core mechanic of the game. So it's yeah. jumping. If you miss a jump and you land in water or fall down a hole, you just die, period. Like it's, you lose all of your hearts, which slows down the game considerably. Like with in other games, if you fall down a hole, you might you appear back at the door having lost like a heart or two. But in this case, you're just dead. It doesn't matter if you're full, uh, full hearts or not. Um, and another issue that I found is as you're playing the game, you upgrade your core weapon. So originally you're given a yo-yo. Um, which is renamed the Island Star in uh, after 1990, this release, because they discovered that the word yo-yo is an actual trademark, so they couldn't use it anymore. Um, and throughout the game, you keep getting uh, better yo-yos, essentially. You get m more powerful weapons. But the way it works is the, you, o you only keep the weapon uh, if your hearts are at a minimum level. So if you're at full power by the end of the game, you are using this like really awesome weapon. And then if you get down to like six heart or just above six hearts, you're using this okay weapon. If you get below six hearts, it, you have to use your yo-yo again, which creates this weird issue that the difficulty of the game vastly increases when you're close to death. <laughs> uh, and that doesn't exactly lend itself to a fun experience. So like, I'm not saying that it should be the opposite, like whereas you get more powerful as you get weaker. But at the same time, it's like, well, when you only have one heart left and you're using this stupid yo-yo and it doesn't remotely give you enough power to kill any of the monsters, let alone any of the bosses in the, uh, in the final dungeons, it really increases the difficulty to an absurd level. Yeah. I mean, there's also the fact that like we talked about earlier, how you, your items and stuff are reset when you exit dungeons, but also your hearts reset to three when you enter most of the dungeons. So like you always start with nothing and you have to like, 
not get hit and find hearts. So your maximum hearts could be like 14 or whatever, but you'd start with three anyway. Got to work up to it again. Yeah, which is uh, that that really comes into play in one of the final bosses, which you have to beat immediately upon entering a dungeon. But we'll get to that. Um, so anyway, let's uh, let's start talking about the game a little bit. So uh, like I said, the game is divided into chapters. Uh, so we'll be going through chapter by chapter and just talking a little bit about it. I'll walk you through the story of each one. Um, now, keep in mind, this is an NES game, even a late era NES game. So uh, story is not the story is not crazy. It's not like you're, you're not going to be dealing with big emotional things here. It's fun. Um, that's the thing about Star Tropics that I it, it captured my imagination when I was a kid. It captures it now as an adult. It's fun. It has this insane sense of style. Like there was nothing else like it on the Nintendo system. Um, it's absurd. It's 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 aesthetic is is really strange and weird because it jumps back and forth between like a Dragon Quest aesthetic and a Zelda aesthetic. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll just walk through and I'll I'll try to key into a few jokes and things along the way. So uh, upon startup, we're greeted by a very familiar screen, familiar to anyone who's ever played a Zelda game where you enter your name. Uh, the default name is Mike. Uh, so Mike Jones. Uh, and at the very beginning of the game, you are told that you are visiting your uncle, uh, your uncle Jones, uh, on his, uh, his, at his, his laboratory on Sea Island. So the game starts with you uh, standing on a helicopter pad on Sea Island, which is shaped like a sea. And uh, you naturally head to the only village on the island, which is Coral Cola. Every village in this game is called something cola because America uh, and Americans love their cola. Even America is called America Cola. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and the, at least the parts of America that call it cola because not, I mean, I do where I can't come from, but a lot of us, a lot of people here call it pop. So, uh, you know, they picked, they picked one. We call it pop up here too. Yeah. Um, that wouldn't, it wouldn't flow as well though. Coral, no. coral pop. Coral pop sounds like a candy. It does. Coral cola sounds like, well, a cola. Um, so anyway, here the game is pretty much a Dragon Quest clone. Like it's completely overhead. Uh, you enter this village, Coral Cola, and you have to meet with the chief of the village who tells you that your Uncle Jones has been abducted. By who? We will find out. Uh, he gives you your first weapon, the yo-yo. Uh, logically, this is the weapon for you because you are such a good pitcher because all Americans play baseball. Uh, so you can use the yo-yo as a weapon by throwing it at uh, <laughs> yeah. throwing it at enemies. And if you're good at baseball, then obviously you're a pro with a yo-yo. I get it. Oh, yeah, because that's how yo-yos work. When you throw a yo-yo over your shoulder, it immediately swings back into your hand. Yeah. More comparisons to the Mother series, by the way, because Ness can equip a yo-yo as well. And his Ooh. default weapon is a baseball bat. That's true. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, they, they had their finger on the pulse of America, let me tell you. <laughs> And this is actually, I would argue that in Coral Cola, this is the very first uh, big difficulty spike of the game, uh, which is you need to figure out that you need to talk to everyone in the damn village before the guy will let you through the gate into the final dungeon. Up until that point, the guy who's guarding the gate is like, who are you? And you have to talk to everybody in the village until he's like, oh, you're Mike. Yeah, come on in. <laughs> and it's just such a stupid, arbitrary like barrier to entry that if you're not really paying attention and there's like a guy hanging out behind the chief's hut and you're like, ah, I don't really need to talk to him. If you don't talk to him, you're stuck. What a weird thing to do. Um, anyway, so you enter the, you enter the dungeon and here you meet the, uh, the village shaman who uh, tells you that your uncle was abducted because he found a secret in the ruins and you enter into the first, into the first dungeon. 
And the game suddenly becomes a 2D Zelda clone, sort of. Like we were talking about the movement and the action and the jumping and all that. Uh, so this is a, I think it's a pretty good, uh, a pretty good dungeon for a first dungeon. It's a, it introduces the mechanics of the game really, really clearly where there are like kind of like green tiles everywhere that you can jump on. And some of them are switches and some of them uh, give you, uh, give you upgrades and things like that. And oftentimes uh, like hearts and things will appear on them if you jump on them. So that's the sort of central mechanic of the game. And you go through this introductory introductory dungeon and you get to the first boss, which is the sea serpent because it's a sea serpent, but it's a C letter C serpent um, because they have a ridiculous oh, sense of humor. I yeah, this game is <laughs> this game's sense of humor is extremely lame, but it's so lame that it makes its way back to hilarious. Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I like it. I, it's completely Same. cheesy and ridiculous, but I'm, yeah. I'm for it. Oh, yeah, I love it. Um, so anyway, after you beat the sea serpent, uh, you get out of the dungeon, uh, you head to your uncle's lab, and you meet Babu, his assistant. And uh, Babu is weirdly reluctant to join you, but he will give you the startup code for the Subsea, which is uh, your uncle's uh, submarine and your primary means of transport between the islands. And when you get inside, you meet Navcom, who is clearly Rob the Robot. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, the first of many Nintendo references in this series it, it's literally just Rob. So for those of you who don't know, Rob the Robot was a uh, a Trojan horse marketing stunt that Nintendo pulled in 1984 where they were trying to get their console into like Toys R Us. And this was after the video game crash. And Toys R Us was like, we don't want video game systems in our store. And Nintendo was like, it's not a video game system. It's a toy. Look, this is Rob the Robot. He comes with the system. He plays the games with you, his toy. And Toys R Us was like, oh, all right, it's a toy. And uh, very soon after, Rob the Robot was like, all right, get the hell out of here. And he, he vanished forever uh, because he didn't work. And uh, But he does make appearances in certain Nintendo franchises, such as, well, this or Smash Brothers. Um, so yeah, Rob the Robot's here as Navcom. So that's a nice little nice little cameo appearance. And uh, you get in Subsea and you head off into the next chapter. So in terms of it being a uh, introductory level, what did you make of this? particular chapter I, I had a lot of fun with it i uh i i loved seeing rob show up that was nice um as nevcom um it, it it was a real simple introductory dungeon and uh i feel like it's a little deceiving uh considering <laughs> some of the other dungeons i've i, 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 Why, it I whatever like, do you mean <laughs> i was like wow this game's not gonna be a d- that difficult at all <laughs> wow this is really balanced and is challenging but is not impossible this is going to be great. I'm feeling great. Oh, yeah. I mean, there, there's so many things that show up later, like hidden paths and uh, dead end rooms and stuff that are not here. You're not prepared at all when those when they appear. So, uh, yeah, it's it's nice and breezy. The whole first chapter is pretty breezy. You're like, oh, no yeah, falling all platforms. Right. right. It's like, OK, cool. I'll get some hearts. Oh, look, if I get enough stars, I, I get another life. Like, all right, this is this is fine. This is fun. I get it. One other thing I like about Navcom is... Actually, I, I I can't think offhand if this happens with several other characters, but I know Navcom has a different sound when his text comes up. So I thought that was kind of a, mm-hmm. a cute little touch that they basically gave him a separate voice by mm-hmm. giving him a different sound effect. Yeah, uh, that was cool. This game has a, like, obviously, I'm not going to call it a visual novel, but it has a visual novel component where, unlike a lot of RPGs, when you talk to... Uh, significant characters you actually get like full screen character portraits of them talking to you 
So like when you're talking to Navcom, you actually see him standing in uh, sub C or when you talk to any of the chiefs of the village, like you see their full, uh, their full uh, body, which is a really cool feature uh, for a NES RPG of the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Clearly a lot of work went into this game. So much work went into this game, which astounds me that it was never released in uh, Japan until uh, I think it was available on the, in the eShop, but like its original release, it was never released there. I mean, hell, it wasn't even released in Europe until two years after, uh, until two years later. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on to chapter two. So uh, chapter two, you are uh, cruising along in your submarine and uh, you come upon a panicked dolphin. Oh boy. Yeah. (laughs) And thankfully, Navsi can speak dolphin. uh, And you discover that uh, her son, a baby dolphin, has been dolphin napped. uh, And you need to help help, uh, the dolphin find her baby. So... uh, you continue onward to the closest island, and there's a lighthouse there. You go to the lighthouse, and the lighthouse keeper directs you to his wife's house, which you, to get there, you need to navigate through uh, the mountains, so secret passages. So certain mountains, like in any any RPG, uh, Final Fantasy especially, uh, there are some false walls, and you just, you know, you go, you push against the wall, and you go into a, a passageway, um, and this game makes extreme use of that. Uh, especially on the overworld with the mountains where you can't really tell where the fake wall is. So you just kind of have to push against every mountain to see if you walk into it. So yeah, you you walk through this secret passage, you find his wife. Uh, the wife tells you that a bottle has washed up on the beach. And then again, you need to find a uh, fake wall in the mountains and make your way all the way to the beach. Uh, and in the bottle is a message from your uncle that says he has been abducted by aliens. And then he gives you an upgrade for subsea, which is the submersible mode which you think would be like a built-in feature of a submarine. No. But somehow he he put it in a in a bottle. Like he put it in a bottle. I just like the idea that so, that uh your your uncle is kind of like, I don't know, Ubisoft with DLC, like it should be in the actual package, but he makes you pay for it later. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, uh Dr. Jones was doing DLC way before it was cool. Um anyway, and then now you can submerge subsea at places where you see black waves in the water. So doing this, you can like submerge and go under the water and submerge in another place. And doing this, you make your way uh, into the mountains and then to a cave. So uh, this isn't a super long dungeon, but it's a kind of a fun one. There are lots of very long rooms in the dungeon where you have to like jump across platforms and walk across platforms. Uh, and then uh, in the end, you find a octopus boss called Octo the Huge. Uh, and I know uh, he's kind of a pain in the butt unless you found the snowman item in the dungeon. <laughs> and if you use the snowman item, you can freeze the water and lock Octo in place just in front of a program where you can just wail on him with your uh, with your uh, yo-yo uh, until he's beaten. So if you do that, it's actually a super easy fight. If you don't do that, it's kind of a harder one. But, you know, still, it's the difficulty's not insane yet. Uh, and then after you beat uh, the octopus, you find the baby dolphin. I don't know why Octo wanted the baby dolphin, but you free him and the mother dolphin thanks you and then shows you the way out through the rocks and then you head to the next chapter. So uh, again, like this is a nice way to introduce some core mechanics of the game and uh, still get used to it and lull you into a false sense of security about the difficulty of the damn thing (laughs) and uh, teach you a lot of mechanics that you are going to be using later, primarily that you need to push against every wall and mountain wall you possibly find in order to find the path forward. Or have a Nintendo power with... Or have a Nintendo power. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, this game, honestly, if I... 
I know the relationship between Nintendo and Nintendo Power, but like if there was ever a game that was designed to sell Nintendo Power subscriptions, this was it. Yeah, I, I think it in this chapter, it's not so bad because they kind of telegraph the mountain. Like if you look at the shape of the mountains, you're like, oh, there's a mm-hmm. little gap here. I mean, you don't know to look for, but like once you find one, then you start looking for those things, which obviously doesn't help you through the whole game. But at first it's like, OK, well. There's another little alcove here. Let's see what happens if I walk over here. And sometimes you get heart upgrades and stuff. So it's. Yeah, there's a few signposts. Yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes. Um, At least for now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least for now. And you make a dolphin friend. Yes. Uh, The dolphin is one of my favorite things in the entire game. And it's really for a ridiculous reason because it's not. I mean, the dolphin's cute and it makes a cute sound, the mother dolphin, and it's nice to like rescue a dolphin and all that. And hey, it plays into the whole tropical feel of the game. My favorite thing is specifically the line at the beginning of the chapter when one Navcom installs like this thing that lets you speak to dolphins. <laughs> and I, I saved a screenshot the other day because I wanted to make sure I got the line right. But the dolphin is talking to Navcom squeaking and then Navcom's translating for you and saying that, you know, her, her son, I think she just says her son was kidnapped, but then Navcom asks you, captain, may I promise her to find her boy dolphin? <laughs> and I don't know why that line is so funny to me because it's like, you know, it should be Dolphin's son or her, her little boy or something, but no, you have to go help her find her boy dolphin. And it's just hilarious to me. It'd be funny if people introduced their actual children like that. <laughs> this is my, this is my boy human. <laughs> yes. It's a real, all your base. Yeah. Yeah. Translation there. Yes. Um, I'm going to confess something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know how to use items at this point. So I mm-hmm. thought, um, Octo the Huge, the the old-fashioned way. Yeah, this is a game that benefits amazingly from having the manual and everything else that came in the box for reasons that we'll be talking about <laughs> in a few minutes. <laughs> but, like, there there is no, uh, there is no uh, place where the game tells you how to play. It just is like, well, here you go. Here's a dungeon. Here's a yo-yo. Have at it. Yeah, I, I I would have to, I wish I had my box in front of me. I imagine the manual tells you, it's like, you know, press start and then hit select. But I, I don't know. Because I know I figured it out somehow, but I don't think I would have just intuitively said, oh, what happens if I do this? Yeah, this was in the glory age of uh, manuals to, that came with uh, games. Yeah. Also, Snowman doesn't really telegraph well that it's, I mean, like, I get it. Snowman freeze. But like I'm when you're just fighting Octo the Huge there, you're not really thinking, oh, if I freeze the water when he's close. Yeah. You know? It's very poorly signpost. <laughs> yeah. Like if I freeze the water, but then first you have to get to the part in your head where you're like a snowman means it freezes everything right. in the room. Uh, it's a cute little snowman. Adorable. His name is Frosty, Mike. What do you want? Is it really? No, Frosty the Snowman. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't know if the item was called Frosty, which I'm pretty it, sure that all I'm pretty sure that all snowmen are named Frosty. Oh, is okay. true? He he's trying to use his Canadian wiles on you. Don't 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 fall for it. <laughs> it's working. <laughs> um all right. Well, let's move on now to chapter three. So chapter three is where things uh get both interesting and hard. This is the first big difficulty spike in the game. Uh there are going to be considerably bigger difficulty spikes in the next few chapters. Um if you were to rent this game in 1990 from a video store, there's a good chance that every save file on the cart would be on this chapter because it does have a pretty big jump in difficulty. Um, also in this chapter, this is the most JRPG chapter you could possibly imagine. Like everything you do on this island is classic Dragon Quest JRPG side quest. 
yeah. uh, go to a place like if this is a JRPG, this, this entire thing is if it's not turn based, but the structure of it is pretty traditional. So uh, you are in a big storm and subsea is damaged. So uh, you head to the nearest village, which is Miracola. Uh, and uh, yeah, so once in Miracola, you discover that the daughter of the chief is in a coma. And uh, the only one who can save her is the hermit who lives on the top of the island mountain. And if you cure her, he will help you repair subsea. Uh, now, to start your journey, you need to enter into a magma-themed dungeon. And you need to fight a tricky boss named Magma the Fierce to move forward. Uh, to do this, you need to uh, hit some switches on either side to drop him in the water. And you have to be dodging fireballs the whole time. This is a little bit of a challenge with the amount of health that you have in this point of the game. Especially because, like we mentioned before, movement is not this game's strong suit. And a lot of times it depends on you being able to dodge stuff, uh, especially in this early battle. So I found this to be a little bit of a challenge. Just just a small bit. Yeah, just a little bit. It's a challenge, but like, I mean, and this will apply like to many other like bosses and puzzles later. I also do respect that every boss battle isn't just like, well, just hit it a bunch of times. I mean, there are those, but mm. I, I like that they got creative with some of the solutions too. And you have to figure out like, how do I beat this thing? Yeah, I know. It's, uh, it is a very, like a lot of work went into this game, like a lot of work, which makes me like the, the shortcomings of this game are so puzzling to me because so much thought went into it. Like it clearly is the game they wanted to make. And you're like, why did they want to make it like this? Um, Anyway, so after you get out the other side of the dungeon, you encounter a castle named Shikola that is entirely inhabited by women. And since you are a male, you cannot enter. So uh, to get in, because they have information you need, uh, you need to get help from the fortune teller. And so you go to the fortune teller who's like in the, you have to like go all the way around the castle and she's in like the shed out back or something like that. Um, and she tells you that she is missing her crystal ball because she dropped it in the lake at the ghost village. So you have to head to the ghost village to get there. You need to get to the ghost tunnel. And this is the big dungeon of this chapter. So there's a ton of monsters, a lot of them inspired by movie monsters and things like that. But I think that this for me has one of the more annoying mechanics of the game, which is there are ghosts in this dungeon, but they are invisible. You need to be able to defeat them to move forward, but you can't hit them when they're invisible. So you need to find the item, the Rod of Sight, to make them appear. And you found a Rod of Sight, and you get like four blasts with it. Um, and then once they appear, you can just kill them as regular monsters. So oftentimes you need an exit to appear, but it will not appear until you beat all of the all of the ghosts. Um, there were also a ton of multiple false exits in this dungeon, false walls that you need to find to continue. It's it's kind of a pain to be honest. Like I feel like if this dungeon was a little better signpost that I think it would have been a real winner. Uh, or if like the uh, rod of sight was an item that you could use at any time instead of being given a limited number of uses. But yeah, it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit annoying, I think. Yeah. It would have been better as a permanent upgrade for sure. Um, but, and also the setup for this dungeon is hilarious to me they, that you, you go talk to a fortune teller and they lost their crystal ball in a lake in the ghost village. That is, that is the mm -hmm. most absurd setup ever. <laughs> Why were they there in the first place? Right. What were you and doing <laughs> in the ghost village? Like, Oh, I'm just taking my crystal ball out for a walk at the ghost village. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. And then you have to, what do you do to get it? You have to drain the lake. <laughs> like when the crystal ball just go with the water, she didn't just drop it. She had to like, 
hurl it into the lake. I was skipping it across the lake like a rock and it just sank. <laughs> it's like she has no idea how crystal balls are supposed to work. <laughs> right. And yeah, there are, like to get into this dungeon there, there's like a little graveyard and you need to push against the right gravestone. Um, and then when you th- when you hit a false exit, you like pop out a- another gravestone on the map, which means that you need to re-enter at the beginning of the dungeon yep. and play through the whole damn thing again. Um, so yeah, there are, it's a ghost dungeon, a little bit like a ghost house and like a Mario game, but with lots of false exits and stuff like that, but way more annoying. Um, and then at the end you have to fight, you have to fight a big ghost named Maxi. Uh, you have to make it appear with the rod of sight, just like every other ghost in the dungeon. And hopefully you found the bolas in the dungeon because they are just about the only thing that can reach this ghost uh, easily. If not, you're stuck with your yo-yo and that can be a bit of a pain. But once you beat Maxi, you head into the back room and you can use a switch to drain the lake. So yeah, you find the uh, crystal ball in the lake and you pick it up and you take it back to the fortune teller uh, to get help on entering Shikola. How? Cross-dressing. So uh, in a move that would get Star Tropics canceled by both the left and the right nowadays, uh, the, uh, the fortune teller dresses you in women's clothing with magic and you enter the castle without suspicion. Uh, and you meet the queen who congratulates you on your adventure in the ghost village uh, and gives you your first upgrade to your yo-yo that you can use when you have more than six hearts. And then she sends you to the head guard who tells you the secret to get into the cave that leads to the mountain with the hermit. Uh, You have to jump 10 times on a tile at the beginning of the Western tunnel and you're all set. So you leave Shikola, you change your clothes, you make your way through this very, very short dungeon and you head to the mountains which is yet another dungeon. This this chapter is loaded with more dungeons than any other chapter in the game. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah, so then you get to Hermit Mountain, uh, which is filled with all of the same styles of enemies and traps that you found in other dungeons on the island. So this is kind of like the last test. Like everything you learned, you have to bring to this dungeon. And weirdly, this dungeon doesn't have a boss. Go figure. Uh, it has a it has a puzzle where you need to figure out your way into uh, through walls and things like that. And you find a water spout and you get on the water spout and it shoots you to the very top of the mountain and the hermit's there and the hermit gives you the cure. And uh, then you get back to Miracola. You save the chief's daughter. He helps you repair sub C, good at his word. And then you're heading off to chapter four. So I actually think this is my favorite uh, chapter in the entire game. My favorite part of the game, just because it is so full of just RPG tropes and this genuinely felt like a mini scale full-length rpg just based on all of the like there's a village and there's a castle and there's a mountain and there's a ghost town and there's a fortune it it just there was a lot happening here i think i think the mountain is especially interesting because not that it was copying from link's awakening because that game came out years later but Mm. it reminds me a little bit of the seventh dungeon the Eagle's Tower and Link's Awakening, because man, that place can be so confusing sometimes remembering mm-hmm. what goes where. And then when you like break it down and then like your paths change and like, you have to really look at the you know walls and it's another case where like they're telegraphing, like, Hey, you can see where you need to get, except once you get around to that side of the dungeon, there is no indication as I recall. So like, mm-hmm. you just have to say, okay, well, I'm going to just try walking through this wall. And that's the solution. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would have, appreciated if i could we could have done the last dungeon and stayed dressed up as michelle because when you're michelle you have a cool red shirt but i Mm -hmm. guess i guess you can't walk out of the village that way no that would be that would be uh very inappropriate for 1990s sensibilities i guess but if if this is like zelda wouldn't the red shirt mean you have better defense 
I mean, I, if there's anything this game could use, it would be a better shirt uh, for higher defense. <laughs> yeah, this is – let's put it this way. Joking aside and slightly dated, this is not the kind of game that you want to talk about modern politics with. This is not a game that deals in that. It is very silly. Everything about this game is very silly and with a with a high sense of style. Um, and the whole – the cross-dressing thing to get into the castle, it's as it's as like – 12 year old sense of humor as you can possibly imagine like the whole thing when you're inside and they're like you're so pretty and you're such a beautiful young woman even the creepy guy outside <laughs> of shikola who comments after you talk to him oh you yeah. were really cute when you were in a dress yeah and you're like thank you thanks that that's appreciated i'm also a 12 year old boy so this is inappropriate on every conceivable level hey hey he's 15 mike's 15 i thought he was like 12 i don't know i, I thought mean he was like I was looking at some videos earlier, and I think he's meant, so he's meant to be 15. Okay, let's see how old Mike Jones is canonically, because <laughs> if there's one thing the internet is good for... It's the story the of the game follows 15-year-old Mike Jones. He's 15, okay. A high school baseball team captain. Oh, I didn't know he was the team captain. Oh, I didn't know he was the captain either. Well, see? Of wow. course he's the a captain. Have you seen him throw a yo-yo? <laughs> <That's very good>. <laughs> <laughs> right. How silly of us. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Uh, also, there are occasional cutscenes in this game. Like your sprite on the overworld, in no way, shape, or form resembles your sp- your actual like character uh, portrait, which is really funny to me. Uh, and when Mike is disguised as a girl, the look on his face is ridiculous. <laughs> it's this ridiculous. It's, it's a ridiculous sprite. I highly recommend that you uh, that if you play this game, you play with a walkthrough. There are some very good walkthroughs out there. I. I mean, I don't think that you need the frustration of trying to deal with some old-timey NES ridiculous uh, gameplay conventions that don't really hold up today. Um, your choice, though. Anyway, let's move on to Chapter 4, which is a much shorter chapter and a change of pace. So uh, first, you are Pinocchio, and you're swallowed by a whale. Um, so a subsea is swallowed by a whale, and you're navigating through the digestive system, I guess, and you find Babu, your uncle's assistant in the whale. He came looking for you because he felt ashamed that he did not tell you that your uncle was abducted by aliens, which we already discovered. So thanks, Babu. Uh, and he just he just suggests that uh, they should light a fire to smoke out the whale so you can escape. But he lost his lighter. So you need to navigate through a rather infuriating maze of the whale's digestive tract, both on foot and in subsea to find the lighter. So there's lots of, again, like narrow passageways that you can't really see where you're going. And there's lots of black water with waves so you can uh, submerge subsea. Um, And uh, yeah, once you find the lighter, you head back to Babu, you light a fire and you're out of you're out of the whale. Uh, And here we come to the most infamous part of Star Tropics, which is the letter. So even folks who don't really know about the letter in star tropics or who barely know star tropics probably know about the letter it is probably one of the most uh infamous pieces of (laughs) collateral to come with a game in history which is babu tells you that to find your uncle you need a certain frequency and to get that frequency he says my uncle your uncle told me that you need to dip his letter in water and logically because he's telling you this in game you're thinking I don't have a letter as an item. Did I miss an item? Did, did, is this like a missable thing? Was I supposed to get an item earlier in the game? Uh, and like you check, you know, you there's no there's there is no letter. What do you do? Well, first you need to check everything that came with the physical copy of the game. 
because an actual physical letter from your uncle is in the box. And you have to dip that letter, that physical letter that came with the game, into cold water. Into real water. Real water, and a frequency will appear in disappearing ink 747. Now, some people have speculated that this was a, uh, a, a nifty little bit of digital rights management from the 1990s to prevent piracy because piracy was an issue back then. And uh, a lot of games used like quizzes and questions and things like that that came with the actual copy of the game in order to buy, in order to prove that you actually own the copy of this game. Now, I don't think it was this. I just think that the develop personally, I think the developers probably just thought it was neat. It just seems like the kind of thing they'd be like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if they had to dip the letter in water Mm -hmm. to get the coat? And everyone was like, this is a great idea. Ignoring human nature, which is when you pay like 70 plus dollars for something, you don't tend to dip it in water. <laughs> well, unless they're those little dinosaur sponges. Yeah. You're not wrong. <laughs> wow. You you bought a lot of those, huh? I Just one really big one. <laughs> $70 worth. <laughs> $70 worth. $70 worth of dinosaurs. Um, yeah, because like if I was a, if I owned a copy of this game, the last thing I would think is I'm going to dip this letter, this piece of paper into water because I don't want to ruin it because I paid for it and it came with the game. Oh no, I, um, I was all for it. Back then they were expecting it to be a child's gift, right? Hmm, I guess. They and a child thought, would be reckless enough to do it. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't my <laughs> money. Probably already spilled something on it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. But uh, this caused some massive problems for, this is another thought, which is this was a fun way to screw over the video game rental market because- Nintendo was uh, a a strong opponent of video game rentals. Uh, they hated it. They hated it so much. They didn't have a system like that in Japan. Uh, there were no video game rentals in Japan. Uh, and they hated the fact that it was legal in America. Legal to the point where there was a lawsuit that proved it was legal. So the problem being when you rent a game, obviously, sometimes the manual gets lost because it doesn't get returned. Or it's like a cheap photocopy. So, you know, if it does get lost, they can just photocopy, the the rental store can just photocopy a new copy of the manual and put it in the box and it's perfectly fine. But it doesn't work like that for the physical letter. So if you rented this game, you weren't going to have the letter. It was not going to be included with the rental. So at this point, it's over. You can't continue. What what did you do? You said you rented it when you were a kid. I never got this far. I I got, I, I don't think I could be, I mean, consider I was born in 1984. The game came out in 1990. I probably played it in 1991. So I was not that old. Um, and God knows I could, I'm 38 and I could barely get through this damn thing using rewind constantly trying to get through it with an actual NES controller. Uh, when I was that age would have been impossible. I think I stopped at chapter three. I enjoyed it. I had a really good time with it. And in later years I played, you know, played more of it, but back then, no, I I stopped here. Hmm. Uh, thinking back, I, I you know when I was a kid, I don't remember ever getting a manual with a rental game. No, I remember the photocopies, but that's it. Yeah, I remember getting photocopies occasionally. The photocopies were a really good solution because you'd still have the manual to be able to learn how to play, but yeah. they wouldn't lose it. And if if it was lost or not returned, no harm, no foul. You just photocopy the you know what you have in your storage. I definitely remember a lot of uh, digital rights management stuff. I remember. Leisure Suit Larry would have you answer questions uh, that only that yeah. only adults only should know. Adults should know. Uh, I also had a motorcycle game where they had a physical like um, paper wheel, and they would give you like a word on the screen, and you had to like line up like six different wheels on this thing in order to get the rest of the string of characters. Oh yeah, they had that in Monkey Island too. It was the uh, it was the uh, dial a monkey thing. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, that also reminds me of uh, King's Quest Six. 
mm-hmm. uh, you couldn't get up the um, the island of uh, Sacred Mountain uh, without the um, language thing in the manual. I don't know why I'm struggling with that word. Mm-hmm. A lot of DRM uh, was directed towards the uh, personal computer industry because obviously piracy there was considerably easier than it was for a uh, Nintendo system because, I mean, you know, Nintendo computers weren't very popular back then. And certainly the internet wasn't around to the point where you could download ROMs of games. Uh, and if you were to do this, I, I don't, I, to be completely honest, I don't think that there were, there was real pirating NES industry back then. I might be wrong. I certainly didn't know about it in New Glasgow at the age of six. So, <laughs> right. But yeah, it, it was, it's just a weird little addition. And I think that ignoring the whole digital rights management thing, ignoring the whole, they were trying to prevent uh, people from renting the game. I honestly think it was probably just the developers thinking, wouldn't this be cool? And you're right. It is cool. It is. I, I like it. It's cool. Yeah, it's cool. It it screwed over many a people pl- person playing it, but it's cool. It, it's been interesting to see how they've dealt with it since then on other releases, because on the virtual console on the Wii, they acknowledge they're like, OK, look, there's no physical edition. And the in-game manual or not in-game, but in the Wii menu manual gave you like a digital letter to dip in a digital bucket of water to give you the code. Get out. Yeah, it's cool. That's awesome. If you have it on the Wii, mm-hmm. you have that. Um, but at this point, like on the Switch, they don't have anything like that. As far as I know, there's no manuals. So like they're just like, eh, people will go online and figure it out. Uh, but I like that they did that on the Wii because mm-hmm. no, obviously no other game ever needed something like that. So that was pretty cool. I love that. I actually, yeah. well, I'm not going to ask everyone to wait, but I mean, all this talk, I really want to go into the other room and get my copy and see if, I wonder if that that invisible ink, like, wears out over time at this point the game would be so old if you tried dipping in water it'd probably just dissolve <laughs> yeah my my earthbound scratch and sniff uh stickers don't or not stickers but cards don't smell anymore yeah i'm sorry i mean they smelled horrible but i guess they i'm did. sorry that you can't smell that anymore okay maybe after the podcast i'll go check and i'll, I'll let you guys know that would be very much appreciated <laughs> i want to talk a little bit about the whale not that it's much of a chapter i think i think this is one of the cases where the like dragon quest the overworld not having combat plays in its favor because the way that whale is laid out and the weird like limited views you get around certain corners and the kind of maze like if you could see everything at once it would be really easy um Mm -hmm. like the difficulty is like trying to figure out where things go when you only see like eight tiles at a time oh it's Uh, very claustrophobic but if it you know yeah if this was a standard RPG with random battles and you're trying to navigate around there, that would be probably the most annoying chapter in the game. So I'm glad that you don't have combat there. So it it's difficult, but not frustrating. That's actually a really good point. I didn't, I didn't think about that until now, but yeah, it random encounters in that thing would have, and I kept thinking that too, the entire time I was playing it, you know, it in any final fantasy game, it'd just be random encounters constantly. Every uh, three steps. Yeah. Every three steps. And you'd, you would you would constantly lose where you are because you're being thrown into a random encounter. Yeah. And you'd like be just terrified to like backtrack and I'm like, no, I don't want to take Ugh. any steps I don't need to. So see that mm-hmm. that worked out here. Yeah. It's an interesting departure of a chapter uh, because it so heavily leans into the Dragon Quest style rather than the uh, dungeon crawler style. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, let's move on to chapter five now because this is a much more straightforward chapter. Uh, you now have a fix on your uncle and you're heading there and you find your par- your path blocked by an old timey sailing ship. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, apparently, its captain, Captain Bell, uh, used this ship to block the strait hundreds of years earlier to stop pirates from attacking Belcola, which is the village on the island. Uh, so to move forward, you need to destroy their history and heritage to continue, uh, which they feel thrilled to help you with, which is, I think, is the funniest, one of the funniest things in the game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're tired of looking at that thing. Like this, this ship, this ship saved our, it's part of our heritage. It saved us all, but it's in my way. Oh, well, in that case, okay, well, go here. It's in the way of my submarine that can yeah. submerge under things. Yeah, to be fair, uh, Dr. Jones didn't give you the upgrade that lets you submerge places where there isn't black waves. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. You, you, you can only, it can only submerge in places where there's an oil slick. <laughs> so anyway, the, uh, the village chief tells you, uh, we have no idea how to get to the boat, but, uh, you can talk to the parrot, um, which I, I love this because it just, it gives me shades of Ace Attorney here. Uh, Petey, right? Where, what? Is it Peter? Yeah, it's Peter, yeah. Peter the parrot. Uh, Peter the parrot is a descendant of Captain Bell's parrot, um, <laughs> Incidentally, this was in like 1602. So this is like 300 and some years later, uh, almost four, yeah, almost 400 years later. And apparently across like multiple bird generations, this parrot has like memories of, of Captain Bell. Uh, oh my God. So, I never anyway, thought about that. That's so good. Yeah. yeah. To, uh, to get the parrot, to give you the hint, uh, you need to bribe him with a present. Of a, of, it needs to be a fresh worm. So you go on a trek across the island doing the usual hidden paths through the mountains. You uh, get a worm from a fisherman. You give it to Peter. And Peter tells you, do me so far, do me. Which, if you know nothing about music theory, is considerably less than helpful. <laughs> and then you uh, you get to Captain Bell's memorial where there is a giant piano. So presumably, like, these people at Bell Cola were so thankful that not only, like, honored him as the father of their village, they also built him a giant piano in his tomb which that's commitment right there like that when i go i want my my descendants to build me a giant piano with my name on it um so once you see this piano you know what to do if you know anything about music uh which is you need to put in the the notes do me so far do me which basically breaks down to one three five four one three so push the first note push the third note fifth note fourth note first note third note uh, you do that, and the door to the ship opens. And this is where things get really, really friggin' hard. Uh, this stupid dungeon has so many instant kill traps in it, including these giant bowling balls that are a massive pain to get around. The, the bowling balls and just the dead end, like or the doors that you walk through and instantly die, I think are <laughs> one of the worst things they did. Because, like you said earlier, and I never thought of it, about the way you described it. If falling in the water made you lose a heart and set you back in the pirate room, like no big deal. The fact that you can go through a door that can kill you and you have no way of avoiding it was not the best choice. Absolute BS. Yeah. Yeah. It's just an instant kill for no reason. It's artificial. It's artificial difficulty yeah, that yeah. if you were putting quarters into the NES it would make sense, but right. it's, it's not quarter based. It's just, why yeah it's it's a backwards design it's it's punishing the player for exploring yeah and again i like to point out that if this was the earliest days of the nintendo entertainment system i would totally understand but it's not it's at the taylor end they know how to make games at this point they know what's annoying and what's not but it's like the people who design this have never made a game before it's a little bit like earth or like mother in that respect yeah it's like they don't know how to make a game so they're just making choices that have already been figured out 
anyway, uh, there's also, which I hated this. Uh, if you remember back in the frigging ghost village uh, dungeon where you have to use the, the rod of sight, there is a single ghost hiding in a room. Um, and you need to find the room and you need to use the thing on this stationary ghost in order to uh, move forward and reveal the path. Ugh, very frustrating. Um, oddly, this chapter doesn't actually have a boss. Uh, there's no boss. You just, once you figure out all the traps and the hidden paths uh, to the ship, you can get to the ship, you jump on a platform, uh, you sink the ship, destroying their heritage, and then you continue to chapter six as they all wave happily at you. Do we think that the big piano was a reference to the movie Big? Because the, I looked it up just to make sure, but they did come out in 1988. Pretty, pretty similar time frame. They're like, hey, you know that Tom Hanks scene? Let's put a big piano in here. I mean, there is nothing more American than Tom Hanks <laughs> in the 1980s, true. in the late 1980s. So that makes complete sense to me. That'd be like, you know, Americans, they love giant pianos. Yeah. I mean, don't we all? <laughs> God. Um, all right. So let's go on to chapter six real quick. Um, so it's May's time. Uh, you need to, you're now in the area where Dr. Jones is and you need to navigate through diveable patches of water. Uh, to find him so this can take a little while there's lots of fake walls lots of oil slicks um where you have to dive and you need to go and every now and then uh navcom gives you coordinates to tell you are you getting closer or are you getting further away from dr jones um and then finally you know finally after many many false tries if you do this without a walkthrough which i do not recommend you do i do not recommend you do this without a walkthrough just use a walkthrough Honestly, use a walkthrough. It'll improve things immensely. Um, you uh, find yourself in what I would argue is a pretty darn difficult dungeon, uh, but it has uh, one of the coolest power-ups in the whole game, which lets you jump two spaces. Hell yeah. We did it. Yeah. You get to you get to fly. And you get an orange shirt. It's not the red shirt, but you get an orange shirt. Doesn't make you any stronger. Doesn't make you any tougher, but you can jump. Uh and then at the end of this dungeon, you need to fight with a giant stone head that's named Broken Joe. Uh, this is uh, this is not an easy fight. You need to hit him with your baseball bat, which was in the in the dungeon, while jumping to avoid his projectiles. It's kind of a pain in the butt fight. I think so anyway. I, I appreciate that you looked up all the names of these bosses because none of that is actually in the game. So I didn't know no. some of these boss <laughs> names until now. Yeah, I think they are. Maybe I'm wrong, but the sources that I say that these are that this is the name of the boss. Um, anyway, so uh, yeah, you you beat Broken Joe. Uh, and once you beat him, you go through some uh, dungeon quest style caverns a little bit. Uh, you find this massive boulder that has three holes melted in it. Uh, it's a mystery. What could this possibly be? And then you enter into... Another dungeon, which is another massive pain in the butt. There are a ton of fake walls again. There are hard enemies. There are crazy spike traps. The spike traps in this game are nuts. Uh, they just like shoot out of the ground randomly almost. And it's it's very difficult to... It's, it's luck really that stops you from getting hurt. If there's a system in place that lets you predict them, I don't know what it is. There, there is in some rooms a little bit because some of the research I did was watching a, a speed run from a GDQ. Mm -hmm. Uh which was incredible to watch. Uh, for reference, the guy did the entire game in just over an hour. Um, wow. But some, wow. Of, some of the some of the things, it's like some of it is random, like even like enemy placements in some rooms is random, which is also makes the speed run more impressive. But uh, there are certain rooms that things happen at a certain point. And, you know, 
to get around them. And I think it might have been. It might have been in this dungeon or one of these dungeons where he, he did a, he does a trick sometimes where you walk into a room and then before you jump across something, he would jump or like walk into the wall for like a half a second just to adjust the timing. And then when you go through the room, you can just like run right through. Uh, so there is there is some timing to some of these things that is predictable uh, if mm. if you can wrap your head around all that anyway. Yeah, it, it's a it's a difficult dungeon. And then at the end, there is a uh, it's a two enemy boss called the, the twi- uh, Statues of Twin Sumacho. Uh, and you need to throw the throwing star weapon at them and the throwing star weapon when you press the button uh, splits into two. Uh, alternatively, you can also try to hit them individually with your morning star, but have fun doing that. I, I had a lot. Of, I had a lot of trouble with this boss. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's very simple. Uh, it, it it seems very simple, but on execution, uh, when you're dodging, jumping, um, and trying to time the morning or not the morning star, the uh, the throwing star. Yeah, the the thing that splits into two. Um, yeah. all all that working for you. Uh, it was a it was a difficult boss. Yeah, it is. It, it really is. Um. Thankfully, it's the last difficult boss in the game. Yeah, smooth sailing from this point. This is when, like, like some of the power ups the game introduces, like from here on, are actually really cool. Like, I love the throwing star, the throwing yeah. star, the the longer jump. Is this are the cleats in this chapter? I think they are. Um, like really cool items uh, that you sadly, like we said, uh, you can't carry on and take with you later. Um, mm-hmm. but it's fun. I, I like that. They, they really got creative with some of the uh, sub weapons and stuff. Yeah. I can't help but feel that if they let you carry weapons with you, it would have added a little bit to uh dungeon variety in the ways you attack each dungeon. And also would have improved the difficulty level without actually changing anything. Yeah. Not allowing you to take items to the next dungeon was a choice for sure. Yeah. And remains a choice in the next game, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> um, after you beat the dungeon, you finally find your uncle. Uh, and he explains that the aliens that abducted him are evil and destroyed a planet named Argonia. Uh, but before its destruction, Argonia sent a space pod to earth Jor-El style. Uh, and it contains three magic cubes that Dr. Jones found, but the aliens forced them to tell, uh, tell them where they were. And you, it's your job to get them back because you're a 15 year old and he's an adult. So it's your job <laughs> and you need to go to the spaceship. So you head to the spaceship and you go inside and holy cripes on a cracker. This chapter is friggin' impossible. Uh, chapter seven. So anyway, let's uh, chapter six. Yeah, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting kind of thing. You finally meet Dr. Jones. Uh, my mental image of Dr. Jones was always, well, frankly, it was of Harrison Ford. One hundred percent. I mean, he's an archaeologist. He's uh, and th- this is not Harrison Ford. Um, I would think Sean Connery sometimes, too, because he's supposed to be like, you know, he's senior to you. So if you're playing the Harrison Ford character, then it'd be Sean mm. Connery. Mm. Anyway, um, let's talk about the stupid spaceship. <laughs> Well, wait a minute, real I, quick. Oh yeah. Uh, the, uh, we did get to visit in the last chapter. How do you do, Cola? Oh is, yes, which oh, yeah. is my favorite town name. <laughs> how do you do, Cola? And that's all I wanted to bring up. <laughs> I <laughs> just loved it so much. It's so good. Um, I also like the line of dialogue that starts this chapter because um, you've literally just found out about the aliens and that there's a spaceship in this whole plot. And the chapter starts up by saying, you finally found the spaceship. I'm like, I just <laughs> learned about it. <laughs> After all this time. And it's like, and you're like, okay, well, how, what do I have to walk through to get to it? And it's like, you, you walk like half a screen up and it's just there in a the clearing. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a nice bit of decompressed storytelling there. Really? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, the spaceship, there's not a whole lot to talk about the spaceship. The entire 
most of it is uh is dungeon crawling like i said it's frigging impossible um i mean this goes from nes hard to nes impossible in my opinion in a lot of places uh there are these uh i'm gonna call it chocobo there are these on jet bikes uh, who just like will drop down behind you and like swarm across the screen and they like fall at random just to nail you and they don't stop. And it's really annoying, especially when you're trying to jump on platforms while these are attacking you. I'm pretty sure that on jet bikes is the official name of the character. So <laughs> there's also another layer to it too, because while you're jumping, if you're jumping above them, you can't attack them, right? Like you can use the attack, yeah. but like you're considered on a different plane. Yeah. And the hitboxes are weird too. Yeah. So like, even if you think you avoid them, sometimes you don't. Yeah. So yeah, you have to navigate your way around the ship, avoiding enemies that are shooting at you with these randomly dropping, uh, air bike guys flying towards you. Ton of other massive headaches. All the while, you need to figure out this teleportation maze. And then after you figure all that out, you need to fight two pain-in-the-butt bosses on jetpacks. And once you beat them, you finally get one of these little cubes. Uh, And then that will upgrade your weapon. So now you have a very powerful weapon. About that fight, um, I mentioned I watched that speed run. Uh, Mm -hmm. I just, again, need to share this. This is probably way more exciting if you watched it uh, like I did. But just for reference because of how you've described this chapter is absolutely true it's very difficult there's a reason that every heart littered around the spaceship is a four heart upgrade because everything that hits mm-hmm. you it does so much damage um so and you and will be hit you will be hit and this does even happen in the speed run because of some of the random nature where things can spawn and how they hit you um the the guy almost died in this run. Like he got through and something spawned where they weren't supposed to. And he went into that fight with those two jet things with half a heart and beat them. And it was one of the most wow. amazing things I've ever seen. Um, but like that, I don't know. I think that really says something about the game because he was barely getting hit this whole game. Cause he's just, he's speed running this like, mm-hmm. and even this guy, it's like, yes, that's how difficult and frustrating this dungeon can be. This spaceship makes the spaceship level in Splunky look like a nice walk on a summer's day. <laughs> that's how hard it is. Um, and then you go into the second one, which is a little bit easier, but still tough. Uh, lots of hard jumps and dodging is required. And then at the very end, you also have to fight a gold version of the guy with a jetpack. And at the very end is an interesting boss where you need to, uh, he's on a ledge and you need to uh, drop the edge of the ledge off and then attack him. So he'll fall off the edge of the ledge, which is, it's, that's kind of a cool, cool little boss fight, I think. Yeah. Again, showing that they really care about the boss fights and they, they have some, yeah. some cool puzzles attached to them. Yeah, definitely. That one has a funny name too. That one, actually, I, I I don't know if it's the official name. It's like a, because it, it sort of looks like an ostrich. Yeah, it's oh, asteroid. 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 Okay. Okay. That is uh, that is a great name. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you uh, you find another cube. You find the second cube, and the cube uh, increases your heart. So now you're all maxed out on hearts. But oh no, the spaceship is taking off with you inside. So the spaceship takes off, uh, and here is where you finally meet the big the the big bad you've been hearing about the entire game. Except, like, this is the first time you've actually heard about him, really. Uh, finally. So, you know, w- finally. <laughs> and his name is Zoda. And it just occurred to me earlier in this episode, until now, that th- that can't be a mistake. Like, that... Zoda-Cola. Uh, yep, so, yep. Zoda. Yeah, exactly. Soda. It can't be a mistake. Like, uh, the same thing, yeah. Clearly, the Japanese have put their... Uh, have, have put their... Uh, 
their flag down on which they think is the proper term. And that is definitely cola, not Zoda. <laughs> um, so yeah, you need to beat up. Here's the, again, another reason why he's annoying boss is it's a new dungeon. So you walk in and just despite the fact that you just increased your hearts, Hey, you got three hearts to take on one of the final bosses in the game. Have fun with that. Um, and, uh, he has the bosses. It's a classic disembodied giant head and two disembodied hams hands, which kind of looks a lot like queen zeal from Chrono Trigger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At least they have your ray gun. Yeah, if you have the laser gun, it's a super tough fight. If you don't have it, it's an insane fight. And then uh, after you beat him, uh, he mutates into like kind of an alien-esque creature. Uh, I mean, he is an alien, but like an aliens, an alien from aliens kind of looking creature. And he runs away. So now your job is you need to get off this ship. So you head to the main engine. And this is an entirely different kind of boss than any you fought so far, but is still insanely difficult. You need to be able to hit the engine core while simultaneously dodging enemies, projectiles, and not falling down the hole where is the only place you can stand to attack the engine. And if you fall down the hole, you fall down into a room below you and you have to come back up again, which resets the uh, health of the engine. So it's kind of a little bit of a frustrating quote unquote boss. It's also healing the whole time. Yeah. And even with rewind, I almost put the game down here. Um, it's so ugh. it, it, it doesn't want you. To, it feels like the game just straight up. Doesn't want you to beat it. <laughs> yeah, right. It really does at this point. Um, it, just getting on there. To, it, I, I kept falling. I kept dying. I mm-hmm. like, it was like nothing I could do could beat this. It took, it took a great amount of luck um, and constant use of rewind. And I can't even imagine playing it on the actual NES and beating this part. No, I mean, unless you were like, well, a speedrunner, for example, able to beat it with half a heart. Right. Yeah, exactly. And at this point, there is a good chance you are working with half a heart. And I'm, I'm not even talking about the game. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain as a kid, my brother and I did manage to finish this, but I couldn't tell you how. Like playing it again now, like I don't know how we, we did. I mean, I can think of one way that I could have beaten this game and uh, its initial start with GG, Game Genie. Actually, that's true. Uh, we might have used that thinking back, but I'm not sure. It's so funny to me that Game Genie was designed to like make games easier or to like do things. But genuinely speaking, the way it was designed, it could have been used to uh, make game improvement patches on the fly. That's true. Which, which yeah. I guess is what it did. Sort yeah, of. like a code pack almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, anyway, so once once if you destroy the engine core, uh, you need to escape the ship. And then you run into, oh no, it's mutated Zoda. Uh, I honestly think that we could, if we... <laughs> Mike, for the for for our YouTube channel, for the RPG Fan YouTube channel, we seriously we could just do a four hour YouTube like speculation deep lore dive on the on Zola versus Cola. <laughs> All right, if you want to, there are there are dumber things on YouTube. That's true. Um, low bar, low bar. Um, so yeah, you are fighting the alien form of Zoda, which is a fight that I found way easier than the previous two. Um, Almost fun, actually. Still super hard. uh, But it involves you like jumping from platform to platform, hitting him when you have the chance. It feels like a relatively fair fight. Yeah. I mean, it's once you get around the fact that his hitbox is only like his feet, uh, Mm -hmm. which is always which is a little weird. But at least he if you're trying to jump on the platforms, he has to jump on the platforms as well. So like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, You, you can use the platforms to your advantage. Yeah, it feels just a little bit fairer than other uh, battles in the game. 
Not easy, but a little bit fairer. Yeah. Yeah, the main engine was so much worse than this fight. Oh, the main engine. Is such- <laughs> the main engine is a boss, and I don't think it's meant to be a boss. That's how bad it is. <laughs> it's just really poor game design is what the engine is. Um, anyway, so finally, when you beat Zoda, uh, after he's beaten, the ship starts to explode. But thankfully, you find the last cube. Uh, you catch an escape pod that lands in the water. You try to swim. You get a cramp, and you almost die. In fact, you even hear the dying music. But then you're saved at the last second by the Dolphin Mother. That you helped in chapter two. Thanks, Dolphin which is, Mom. Uh, Dolphin, Dolphin Mom saves you. Um, and uh, she brings you back to Sea Island and, Cor- and Coral Cola. And then uh, you go back into uh, the town and everyone congratulates you. And you go to the, the, the chief's hut and your uncle is in there with the chief. And you put together the three cubes and they magically transform into a bunch of kids. Uh <laughs> I mean, that's what happens, but just yep. the way you describe that. <laughs> Not wrong. It's <laughs> exactly what happens. Like, I wasn't kidding when I, when I mentioned Jor-El earlier. Um, it's like if Jor-El had, like, Kal-El and was like, let's put all of his friends in there, too. And just, like, loaded it full of kids. Um, anyway, their leader, Princess Mika, was sent here by your father. Uh, and you are congratulated for saving an alien race from extinction. And then you all go fishing. Um, and the end. So let's talk about the last chapter of this game. I'll tell you what really impresses me about it. Like, yeah, there's the, the nightmare of a boss with the engine and the first Zoda and the second Zoda, but this is an NES game and it not just, it doesn't only have an ending. It actually has a rather expansive ending. Like most RPG, uh, most action RPGs of this era will sometimes end with like a text crawl. If you're lucky, sometimes it ends with something like, congratulations, you did it. But like in this case, you they give you a playable epilogue. It's true. Not not something you got too much back then. No, and it's it's I think it's a pretty good ending as well. It's like on brand, it's funny, it's weird. There's a bunch of kids that there there are cubes that transform into children. It, it's just weird. But it's pretty it's pretty great. I think it's I I think the last chapter of this game really pulls it off at the very end. I think so too. Um I also usually hear people refer to the main alien girl as Mika, but I always chose to believe it was Micah because it was meant to be a play on Mike's name. I don't know if that's true. Oh, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, usually like Micah, like as an actual person, like there's an H H at the end of the name, but I don't know. I don't know if that was the intent, but that's how I read it. Mm. No, I I think that's a, I think that's a good touch. Um, She's actually your sister. You're an alien (laughs) too. That's, that's the plot of the third game that didn't get made. I mean, you are from America, <laughs> which might as well be an alien world. Uh, so yeah, let, let's talk about our thoughts with this game. Um, I'll, I'll just go first. Star Tropics, like I said, I played this when I was a kid. I had very fond memories of it, even though I didn't get like tremendously far. I played it again as an adult. I'm really glad. Mike and I have been pushing for Star Tropics to be on Retro Encounter for literally years. Um, I don't know how we're actually doing this, but I, I, I don't think we wore Solosi down. We won a poll. I don't know how, but we won a poll. Um, and I'm really glad that we're doing this because Star Tropics is a game that is a like Nintendo first party game for the original Nintendo system. And it's been completely, well, not completely forgotten, but mostly forgotten uh, by time. Uh, and it has such a sense of style to it. It's Its plot is funny and light. It's like a Saturday morning cartoon. And it has some really, really great cutscenes and jokes. 
and the graphics for its time are pretty darn good. And even the combat is fun, even though it's so weird and the movement is so weird. It's actually a fun game to play when they don't artificially jack up the difficulty. Like, I think it's such an interesting Nintendo title. Yeah, I'd say it's one of my favorites. I always had really fond memories of it. There's nothing else really quite like it. So, I mean, despite the fact that it has things that are like obviously directly meant to evoke a feeling of Dragon Quest or Zelda or some other games and, you know, maybe some some of the Goonies and Indiana Jones and Bananas Mm -hmm. and whatever else, uh, Tetris, like it pulls all these things together. But again, there's nothing else really like it. So I think it's an interesting thing that they put together. Well, I'm honored that I got to do the Star Tropics podcast with you guys uh i thought i I mean like i this is my first time playing it first time playing it in january 2023 um and i thought it was extremely novel um i I, it's i guess it's not my first time playing it i definitely played it on the nes when i was a kid but i have no memory of it whatsoever so i definitely didn't get very far um uh really novel ideas it looks like it built upon a lot of uh, uh previous nintendo games um, definitely Dragon Quest, definitely Legend of Zelda. Um, very cool game. Loved the cutscenes in it. Thought the art was incredible. Um, just overall a very pleasant surprise to kick off my 2023 with an NES game that uh, I hadn't experienced like this before. If you like NES games and you like like retro games, Star Tropics is absolutely one that you should check out. And you actually can because it does have pretty good availability uh, because it's on Nintendo Switch Online. I don't know whether or I don't know. We, we were discussing whether or not you actually get the letter with it. So you might be stuck at chapter four hmm. um, or chapter five, but it's, it's 747. If you're wondering what that, uh, if you're wondering what that number was. Um, however, that being said, if I was you listening and uh, you are flexible with some morals and you subscribe to Nintendo Switch Online, so technically you already paid for the game, I might highly recommend that you play it with an emulator. Because if you did that, you would have the rewind function, uh, which allows you to rewind immediately after you die, and that can be very useful in this game. Also, there is one other reason why you might want to consider playing this game uh, with an emulator, and that is because I mean, it's the internet, so some people have decided to improve it. Uh, and there are a few uh, hacks out there for the ROM. Um, most of them are kind of unnecessary, but one is called No Movement Delay. Uh, so what it does is it reduces the eight-frame delay between changing directions, and it reduces that to one frame, which means that you it, it fixes the movement. It feels so weird. I downloaded it. I played the game with the original controls and then I downloaded the hack and started playing it just to see what it was like. It was like playing a completely different game. It fixes the movement. Uh, and uh, I might recommend that you try that. Maybe try it with the original first so you know what you're doing and like what you're getting into. But interesting. It's an interesting patch. So I might recommend giving that a try. Regardless, I absolutely recommend that you play it with an option that features rewind because you're going to be dying a lot and uh, even if you have save states, there's not going to be enough save states to keep you sane. Especially in that engine fight. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You know, you were saying earlier in some chapters, I think the the maze, like that benefits from a walkthrough. I don't feel like I needed, oh, even now going back, um, I don't feel like I needed a walkthrough for most of the game, but I very much appreciated because I, I played it on Switch um, using save states because I'm just like, look, I don't know what's through this door or if I'm going to die. So 
I was just mm-hmm. saving it constantly. And, you know, it, it's fine. I think I'm not going to make any excuses for, like, some of their instant death or some other game design choices. Because I, I love the game, despite it having those. But uh, mm-hmm. It's NES hard. It is. And obviously, when I was younger, we I got through it, and that's fine. But I, I don't know. Maybe we just have different standards now. Well, Mike, that's because you were a super player. I guess. I guess. Um, but I, I think... It, Having things like save states and rewind is a good way of getting around those things, and it kind of takes mm-hmm. the the frustration out outside of the movement thing. So, yeah, yep. I would also recommend playing it with one of those options. Well, that's Star Tropics. However, uh, we are not quite done with Star Tropics yet because while Star Tropics obviously was uh, released in 1990, it got a sequel. Uh, I for some reason. Uh, I guess this it must have been a uh, it must have been a success in some way, but it got a sequel uh, again for the Nintendo Entertainment System released in 1994. It's wild. So Shit, wow. So this is two years after the Super Nintendo was released. What? Why? And again, it's only been released in the states. Um, and it's it's called Zoda's Revenge: Star Tropics Two. Uh, and yeah, it is absolutely worth playing. Um, I finished it. I know that you guys are still uh, working on it. It is such an interesting companion to Star Tropics, playing them back to back. We'll be talking about this more next week. So next week is going to be uh, Zoda's Revenge, Star Tropics 2. Uh, so tune in again for that. But yeah, I'm I'm really, really excited to hear what you guys uh, think about this game. Yeah, that one's going to be interesting because... I did play through the first game recently because it's on Switch, um, mm-hmm. but the sequel is not. Um, that has not been re-released on Switch. I, it's on the Wii, so maybe I'll go hook up my Wii. Um, but I I don't think I have played it since it came out, so I have probably not played that game since 1994. I have never played this game until I, I, I knew it existed, but I didn't have access to it, really. Uh, so yeah, I, this is the first time I played through it, and super interesting. I have never played through it. Also, Super, super, super not successful in any way, shape, or form. I would imagine, yeah, I didn't look up sales figures. I would imagine not, given when it came out. Now, me, I have a strangely vivid memory of seeing it and buying it at Toys R Us when it came out. Because it was like, wow, they're still making games for this thing. Like this and Mega Man 6 are somehow coming out now, years later. Um, But I just... Knowing what we know now, like as we as we've gotten older and how things are marketed and all that, it's like why would they have named it what they named it? Like if you didn't play Star Tropics, the name Zoda means nothing to you. So like, yeah, the, unless you're really squinting and looking at the cover, you wouldn't even know this is a sequel. Very strange. Like who greenlit this? It's just bizarre. Um, it, it's just so bizarre. Um, and we'll be talking about more, more about it next week, but. Uh, Well, I want to thank you both for joining me on this uh, adventure in the tropics. Uh, I'm really glad that we got to do this. This is a game that I feel like should be talked about more. And it's kind of an RPG. It's kind of a Zelda game. It's kind of just an NES level-based action game. It's a really weird mix of genres. So if any of this sounded cool to you listening out there, I highly recommend you check it out because I I think it has a lot to offer. Oh, yeah. I definitely agree. I don't... Like you said earlier, I'm not sure how... Maybe we just had different people voting on the staff poll on Retro Encounter, why it won this time, but I'm happy we got to do it. So, and I'm glad that you were here too, Nick, and got to play it for the first time. So it's, it's neat that like we have the, 
all have very different experiences of like playing it at different points in our lives and stuff. So I, I enjoy talking about it with you guys. Yeah, same. And uh, if you are a newcomer coming into Star Tropics on your own, it was a very enjoyable experience. Uh, I do recommend a walkthrough and I do recommend rewind or at least save states, but it was still very cool to experience uh, in 2023. Yeah, not a bad idea. Okay, uh, well, let's do a little bit of housekeeping before we leave for now. So uh, if you're looking for a way to support us here at RPG Fan, we have opened a store and you can find it at www.rpgfan.com shop. And in this store, we have a variety of goods. We have mugs, we have t-shirts, other, uh, other apparel. If you have a new baby, we have a, a little, what are they called, Mike? Onesies. We have a onesie <laughs> you can put your baby into. Because it is RPG Fan's 25th anniversary this year, uh, we also are going to have some stuff with our 25th anniversary logo on it. That's true. If, if things go the way uh, I'm planning, they might even be available when this when this airs. That's my goal anyway. Which is pretty darn cool. So if you're looking for a way to support us here, uh, that's an excellent way to do so. And you're going to get some cool stuff out of it too. So please check that out. Again, it's www.rpgfan.com shop. Uh, you are listening to Retro Encounter. There are many, 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 many past episodes of Retro Encounter, most of them hosted by Mr. Mike Solosi. Uh, I think the last month was Ogre Battle 64 month. Uh, so they were playing Ogre Battle 64, and that's that's really cool. So check those out if you've ever wanted to play that game or you played it as a kid. Good thing to check out. Uh, this is not the only podcast we have here, though. We all have two others, including Random Encounter, which is my show. That's the show that I usually host, uh, Alternating Mondays. And I can't really tell you what we'll be talking about because we're recording this a little bit in the future and I have no idea what's going to be happening uh, two, three weeks from now. So when that comes around, uh, check out Random Encounter. But we also have Rhythm Encounter, which is RPG Fans Music Podcast, hosted by Mr. Mike Sabato. Mike, what uh, what do we miss on uh, Rhythm Encounter that they can catch up on? Oh, you're talking to me. Sorry. Yeah, I only go by Mike Jones on this podcast, apparently. Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones. Yeah. All right. Well, so when this goes up, let's see, we will have most recently posted an episode about transportation themes. So whether that's airships or boats or chocobos or whatever else, um, people brought on songs for that. And then coming up a few days after this one, we are doing a best of the Xeno series. So that's everything between from Xeno Gears up to Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is featured on that episode. That was a really fun one to do. It was a fun one to edit. Um, so yeah, please check out uh, Random Encounter and Rhythm Encounter. And if this is your first time listening to Retro, check out some of our past stuff. Um, if you'd like to get in contact with us here at Retro Encounter, you can do so at retro at rpgfan.com. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. If you have any requests for future episode, uh, you know, games that we've missed or not played, uh, you know, we have any ideas for discussion questions or things like that, please fire off a message. If you'd like to send me an email, you can do so at jloganrpgfan.com. If you'd like to find me on Mastodon, uh, you can find me at j-o-n-o-l-o-g-a-n at social. Uh, and I'm not the only one here with an online presence. Mike, where can we find you online? I don't have an online presence. My online presence is RPG Fan. Um, but also, you can email me at mike at <laughs> rpgfan.com. Cool. And Nick, where can we find you online? Uh, I am on Twitter at nickmanwrites. Um, and that's it. Okay. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to share it with your friends to help us get the word out there. You can also rate us on iTunes or your other podcast players of choice. Don't forget, we love reviews. So uh, fire off a review sometime. And uh, again, I want to thank 
you both for joining me today on this episode where we explored the the tropic of the stars. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for hosting. Thanks for having me. Yep. And I would like to thank everyone out there listening. And in the words of Mr. Solosi, good night and good luck. Good luck.